<laughs> ah, your Wookiee impression. <laughs> Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by JetBrains, makers of RubyMine. If you like having an IDE that provides great inline debugging tools, built-in version control, and intelligent code insight and refactorings, check out RubyMine by going to jetbrains.com ruby. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash newrelic. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 70 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have James Edward Gray. Hello, everyone. Josh Susser. Hey, good morning, world. Avdi Grimm. Hello from sleep deprivation. David Brady. Hey, everybody. I'm pair podcasting with Chuck Wood today. We have swapped cities. That's right. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm actually in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee today, and... Yeah, that's, that's how we swapped. Hopefully I can swap back to home pretty soon. Is yep. that why you sound um, like an 80-year-old smoker? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we have a few announcements. Um, I'm going to let some other folks take care of that uh, this week. Um, David, do you want to start us off? Um, yeah, so uh, introducing our new segment, uh, which is the totally awesome thing that happened on the Ruby Parlay list. Um, this week, the the thing that uh, really just blew me away from the list was a, a post from Katrina Owen, who was talking about the Angela Harms episode and specifically the unschooling bit. And she was talking about just-in-time learning versus just-in-case learning. The thing that blew me away, the, the phrase, the concept, I guess, the, the sopheme, if you will, that's the, the phoneme is the fundamental unit of sound. A sopheme, then, is the fundamental unit of thought. And the sopheme that caught my eye was a totally new concept to me. Was she, she said she declared learning bankruptcy. She had this huge backlog of articles to read. She had all these things saved, and, and she just dumped it and basically said, I'm going to learn the things I need to learn when I need to learn them. And all of a sudden, she was free to learn things she was interested in instead of all these things that she had to learn. That was freaking awesome, and that's going in my mental bag of tricks. And that's right. my bit. I, I was awesome. uh, I, I was declared learning too big to fail. <laughs> <laughs> and how'd that work out for you? <laughs> he got a bailout. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, ouch. He's, he's continuing his learning Ponzi scheme. <laughs> yeah, they give now other people, of other people do all the learning for me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. All right, well, we have another announcement. We're going to leave that one up, Josh. <laughs> right, yeah, so um, you know, given the uh, smashing success of our last user engagement, contest that we did we decided to do a new one before the first one was even done this is not a continuation of the bankruptcy theme (laughs) right uh, so we, we, we tend to do a lot of uh, content focusing on uh, people learning Ruby and so we, we figured we would do something specifically about Ruby newbies and uh, and see who's out there in the community who's new to the community and uh, and, and and what that's like for you because the, many of us have been around in the community for a long time and we're a little disconnected from the experience of the newbies. So we figured we'll, we'll give you guys the stage for a bit and see what's up, see what we can learn. Uh, so we're, we're going to do um, a month-long contest where, uh, well, less of a contest, more of a, I don't know, 
I don't know, just call it a contest. What we want to do is we want to find some um, excellent newbies to come on the show and talk about being new to the Ruby language and the Ruby community. And the way we're going to find those people is if you're a newbie or you know a newbie, um, you get them to make a five minute video and put it up on YouTube and answer a couple questions for us. And, you know, things like, you know, what are you using Ruby for? And, you know, what do you like about the community? Uh, we're going to put up a page on the website uh, you know, rubyrugs.com. I don't know. It'll be probably just be a post in the page, but we'll put a link in the show notes for that one that goes up and, uh, and come read the thing, figure out what's up, make your video. Um, and, uh, we will, uh, put you through some very, uh, uh, demanding evaluations <laughs> and when we're done, we'll have, we'll have a couple of you come on the show and talk about, uh, being in the community and learning Ruby. And hazing is not the wrong term. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna drop ship you a ruby beer bong (laughs) 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 for for the second video. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) uh, Yeah, but you have to you have to drink Kool Aid from it. Exactly. (laughs) uh, Okay. So and and the um, the actual date of the like the deadline for the contest, we will, um, we'll, we'll be announcing that in later shows. It, it really depends on when we get the first announcement out there because we don't always, um, get the episodes out the same week that we record them. <laughs> and what? we're sorry. Right. And we're sorry for what? that. <laughs> okay. Enough, enough of my intro rambling. Uh, you know, we want, we want newbies, uh, come do a video for us and then, you know, come be on the show and be cool with us. And the really cool thing about this contest is that it has made us realize that we have to finish up the previous contest. So uh, we are getting in our votes right now on the Rogues Golf. Yeah. And it, the, the, I, the, yeah. Guys, what do you think? Can we have? Can we announce winners next week? Yes. Yeah, I think okay, we should. Okay. okay, you heard it here first. We're, we're, we're all committing to have our votes in and our winners picked next week on next week's show. And it's really not that much of a commitment because we usually lag about three or four weeks behind in releasing episodes. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. Okay. So, so by, by the way, the reason we did all this stuff at the beginning of the show is we learned reading Twitter that nobody listens to the end of the show. So you brought this on yourselves, okay? Yep. If you would just listen to the end, you wouldn't have to listen to us now. Yep. But we only have we only have six more intro items to get through. Yeah, so. we're okay, almost well. done. Yeah. So okay, skip moving on, right skip along. on to the picks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do, do we have a topic today? Oh, yeah. Chuck, what are we discussing? I think you did this one. Yeah, it's what is a good starter project? And, and what, is, what, is a, what does that mean? Can we have a definition? What's a starter project? <laughs> That's your department, not mine. <laughs> you take about six ounces of ruby, stick it in a mayonnaise jar in the fridge, and let it culture. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> oh, man. That's not right. So how about, uh, why don't we go around the horn and do uh, what our starter project in ruby was? How about that? <clears throat> yeah, that, that'd be interesting. So, so who started with Ruby first? We should go in terms of seniority. I think Avdi is actually the old man. <laughs> wow. Yes, back in my day. <laughs> I think you actually had me beat by like six months. <laughs> back then, oh, yeah. steampunk wasn't retro. It was cutting edge. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, <laughs> and what are we drinking today? <laughs> I'm not, but I'm thinking of starting. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Okay, for, for for the people listening in, I just want to want to explain that this is what happens when we don't spend a half hour on the pre-call getting it all out of our system. Oh my god! Yeah, we spend a half yeah. hour with Chuck's Wi-Fi instead. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's not my wife. I blame my client. Yeah. Okay. Hello, uh, okay. Ruby so, Elder Monkeys. So, so uh, Avdi, tell us about uh, your your Ruby starter project. Well, way back in two thousand and one. Um. Uh. Honestly, I don't. Um. I don't remember like the first program that I wrote. Um. You know, like play program that I wrote in Ruby. The first project that I did in Ruby, the, the really the first program that I, I recall doing was um, a rewrite of a, um, a prom image preprocessor, which um, back before back before hardware had uh, flash memory on it, um, I, I, I was on a project that that Jesus, had some really old days. <laughs> I was on a project that dealt with some some decades old hardware and um, and these the boards uh, for it you know, it was, it, these, these things had like 6,800, 6, uh, or no, uh, I think they actually had 68,000s on them, but uh, um, really old now. Anyway, really old, old hardware. It had, it had proms on it, which, which are, you know, you would actually seat the, uh, you'd have this chip that you would put into a big old prom burner and, and burn the, the program image into it. And then you would seat, seat the, uh, the chip into the board by, you know, putting it in, pressing down really hard. And, um, and that was, that was how you reprogrammed the board. And if you had a bug in the program, you had to pull the prom, the prom chip, take it back to the prom burner, you know, spend like a, a half an hour burning a new, a new image onto it and then reseat it on the board and hope you got it right this time. So the, um, were, were those double E proms? If you're uh, reburning them? What's that? If you were reburning them, were they, were they? Yeah, probably. I, it's, it's been, um, obviously it's been over 10 years now. Um, <laughs> Or at least, yeah, close to ten years for that project. Anyway, did, did you have one of those cool um, tools for pulling the the chips out of the socket? Oh yeah, yeah, I had the little grabber thing, and yeah. and uh, you know the of course the the prom burner was like this was also this ancient piece of hardware that you had to like put a you know floppy disk into, and and uh, it, it had one of those big knife switches next to it. <laughs> <laughs> like in the Frankenstein Mansion yeah. castle. Yeah. Yeah. It also had yeah little little uh, little bubbling bubbling vats and yep. it's pretty great. Um, but what was the project? What? But what was, what was the, the project? project? Oh, yeah. okay. So awesome. um, <laughs> so <laughs> the 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 thing was this this hardware was so weird that that it had to have this custom program to sort of re, re pre process the the image before it went onto the prom. And by pre process, I mean it sort of had to rearrange things in the memory image. Um, you know, the the memory had to be laid out just so. So you took you took the output of the uh, of the compiler. Um, which, you know, normally you'd be done at that point, but no, you had to take the output of the compiler and then move stuff around in memory until it was just right. Uh, yay, yay, word alignment. 
Yeah, yeah, and you know, because it had to match the the memory structure architecture of this of this board, and and the thing is, we were working on a replacement board, and so they kept changing the memory out uh, layout of the board, um, and there was this horrible old C program uh, that parts of it parts of it were just like old bits of assembly that nobody had the source for anymore. You just had to you just had to link them with the C program. Um, and uh, um, or actually old bits of compiled code. So uh, long story short, I decided instead of updating this old C program that I would just rewrite the uh, the preprocessor in Ruby. And I had like I, I actually had a YAML file which um, where which declaratively laid out the the different RAM sections or the different ROM sections. And, you know, you basically you, you could just so the idea was that other people who didn't know Ruby in the project could just go into this this YAML file and change the way the memory was going to be laid out by uh, by switching stuff around in the YAML file. Um, and it worked out really well because I was able to, to make changes to it very fast, uh, which I wouldn't have been with this, uh, this nasty old C program. So, um, that was my first project. Not sure I would recommend that as a great starter project, but, uh, but there you go. Wow. Every time you said prom, I was thinking of the high school dance. So <laughs> yeah, Avdi's first project was getting a date, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't remember my I don't remember my first project, but I remember getting in trouble for the first word I ever said after looking at Ruby. <laughs> are, are, um, is blasphemy syntax compatible? It's uh, not actually blasphemy, but there was a little bit of profanity. I, the, so the first, I'd seen Ruby off, off and on, and, and somebody said, you need to check out and see what's going on in Ruby again, and RSpec was out. And um, so I typed three dot should and it worked. And and it wasn't actually I take it back, it wasn't RSpec. It was it was the fact that you could call a method on an integer. It was like three dot times. RSpec wasn't out yet. Um so I did like three dot times and it ran a loop. And I'm 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 in a room in a, at a company in Provo, all Mormon, a little bit uptight, and I type three dot times and it works. And just out of out of nowhere in the in the bullpen and very quiet, I I I, I said, batshit <laughs> and I got in trouble for that. So all these, all these, little, all these poor little Mormon kids going, what? <laughs> <laughs> nice. My, uh, all right, Jane. My first project gonna... in uh, Ruby was the Ruby quiz. That was the first thing I did, and I did it because uh, I was in the Perl community mostly before. Uh, the Ruby community and Pearl had this uh, great site by, I think it was Mark Jason Dominus, um, that was called Pearl's Quiz of the Week. And um, he did it a little differently than I did. He had a, 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 a beginner's quiz and an expert quiz each week. Uh, and you could choose, you know, which one or do both or whatever. And... Um, uh, I missed having that so much and being able to work in each week that I made the Ruby quiz to uh, make my own and I ran it for three over three years I think or three years right around three and um, that that was absolutely the easiest way to learn a ridiculous amount of language um, in that you know every single week I read everyone's solutions and I had to figure out how they work so I could talk about them. And actually, to this day, uh, some of the my favorite tricks in programming 
I actually have associated with specific Ruby quizzes. Hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the, you know, the trick from the genealogy Ruby quiz or whatever, you know, and that's how they are in my head. So, uh, so people are sometimes surprised, like how much depth I actually know of Ruby and stuff. Uh, uh, it seems like I almost have the whole language memorized or something, but yes, uh, it does. It's actually that it's, it's that, you know, spend three years reading everybody's code. And of course, <laughs> everybody who submitted, you know, used every trick in the book, you know, so. Because I, they could. Right. So I've literally seen it all, you know. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, I'll jump in. Um, the So my, my first Ruby project of any significance, uh, more than just like fiddling around, was uh, I had a friend who was an author and he had a book coming out that he wanted to build a website for and he wanted to be able to like add press reviews and you know links to things on the web about it and you know uh, and also things about where he was appearing for you know going on his book tour and doing signing events and things like that. And I was like, oh, well, I've been reading about this Ruby on Rails thing, and I'll just build you a website using that. And uh, so I ended up building him a little mini CMS that was specifically just, you know, it put up his website, and then he could edit the press mentions and the appearances. And I, I actually even used Markdown and all that. And it was, uh, it was terrible. Oh my god! <laughs> Some of the worst code I've ever written. Next uh, week's episode will be a dramatic reading of Josh's code. <laughs> I, I, I'm, pre I'm pretty sure that code exists nowhere on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, but it was it was a terrible uh, Rails project. It was I think just before 1.0, and uh, and uh, so I, I learned a lot about um, how all bad with things you can do in Ruby and Rails in that project. Right. Awesome. I'm hey, I'm loving the fact that we're four stories down and we just got to our first Rails project. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, hey, I'm one of those people who came to Ruby because of Rails. I'm not ashamed of that in any way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so David, is that is that, was that uh, batshit story your only story? Is that what you were going to share? Or? Uh, yeah. Well, okay. So the the first paying Ruby project I did was a Rails site and. Um, kind of like Josh, I had basically made every mistake in the book, and this is back when I was writing C++ on Ruby. James can attest to my skills there. And um, it was a Rails 1.1 project, and um, I just turned over maintenance of that project about two months ago. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I shepherded that thing through 1.2 and then 2.0 and then the Rails 3 upgrade and um, yeah, old legacy code will haunt you to your dying day if you let it. That's that's my story there. Oh, wow. it was for a, it was uh, uh, mystery shopping for airports. Uh, people would go in and you know buy you know pretend to buy something and then uh, would go out and basically uh, tattle on the staff of the store and talk about you know the customer service that they got and. So it was basically like a quiz site um, on steroids. A lot of reporting and a lot of uh, like dependent uh, nested models and that sort of thing. And in retrospect, it would have been a slam dunk for a NoSQL project. But boy, howdy, we did it in SQL because that's how you did things back then. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you, you, you can go through the body scanner and <laughs> do some mystery shopping all on the same day. That's right. That's right. 
All had, right. Well, my that client had one customer deny them a badge to get through TSA, and so literally one month in order to fulfill their cl- contract, they had to drive to the neighboring city and then fly into the airport that they were te- that they were scoring, so that they could be inside the terminals, and then they shopped everything and then they flew back. Wow. That's not mm-hmm. all right. Well, my first Ruby project, you, you guys are going to laugh. The the code name for my first project was Frat Girl. <laughs> awesome. And uh, the reason is, is because monitoring system at the company I was working for was called Frat Boy. And um, it, it was kind of everybody making fun of the CEO. But anyway, um, so I was working for the company in tech support and uh, we had just been in the Wall Street Journal and so we had gotten a whole bunch of traffic. People were signing up. Um, and so we needed a system. We, we only did email support, and we up to that point, we'd been using Thunderbird. But it turned out that we actually needed to um, have a system that would just feed us the email and let us reply, you know, basically in line. And, and so that's what we were doing is we were using uh, the T-mail um, Ruby interface to connect to the email server pull all of the emails into MySQL, uh, so built a system that allowed us to do like canned responses and stuff for commenting, because we were really just trying to save time. And eventually that grew into a whole support system with a data, with a knowledge base and, and all of this other stuff built into it, information on how to handle phone calls and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I, that, that was when I made the transition from uh, tech support and IT to Ruby programming. Was, was in that job where I figured out that I didn't love being in management and I really did love programming. So, um, But that, that was it. Uh, and that was in 2005. So. T-mail. Yep. You just mentioned the T-mail library. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, we don't miss that one, do we? <laughs> well, it got replaced by mail, uh, which is yeah. now, now what Rails uses. Yeah, I remember when the mail gem came out. I couldn't. I couldn't believe that there hadn't already been a gem called mail. Yeah, I was. I was surprising. T mail, I heard, was great at spam detection. You fed it an email, and if it crashed, it was probably spam. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it's worth noting, like, I, maybe I don't know about if Avdi will agree with this, but for me, I was just playing around in Ruby because it was fun uh, and and learning the language on the side and recreationally, so to speak, uh, before Rails hit. And then Rails hit, and all of a sudden they wanted all these people that knew this obscure language that nobody knew. So suddenly, you know, it was valuable, this bizarre edge knowledge I had. It was interesting. Yes, yeah, so go learn the most obscure programming language you can find, and, and I promise it'll make you rich. <laughs> Maybe you two will hit the language lottery. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so, uh, it, did did we did we get everyone? I think yes. we did. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in preparation for this episode today, I I sent out a tweet yesterday asking people about their starter projects, and uh, I. I Asked two questions. What was your first Ruby project and what was the most educational Ruby project um, or the best education for learning Ruby? And I got a ton of responses. It was actually uh, super cool. Uh, the, there were a couple of themes that came out of this. And one was uh, that 
a lot of people said that working on open source software was the most educational thing they could do. And, and specifically authoring their own open source software and putting it up as a gem or something like that so that other people can look at your code and give you feedback. And that was probably the number one thing that people said. Um, and James, you were looking at some of these tweets too. Uh, chime in if you have anything to add as well. I wanted to talk a little bit about what you just said on open source. Like, okay. I don't think I, I appreciated it till a little past uh, my starter project times. Like, uh, there was one point I remember with an open source project um, where I wanted to make a change to it and I, I made a very, you know, detailed change and, and I'll, I'll totally confess I, I did a bad job of it and, you know, put way too much in there so it was difficult to review on the other side and stuff like that. Um, and uh, We'll so talk they, about this later. <laughs> right. So they just rejected it, um, of course, which they should have. And um, that, that was a little demoralizing to me, like in the beginning when I was working with uh, open source, it was like, well, I did all this work and they didn't even want it, you know, and I, but it was more an understanding problem on my end of not understanding why they didn't want it, you know, and that particular project wasn't good about, you know, it would have been great if they had said, look, you know, there's some good ideas in here, but you really did a bad job of putting this together. Could you break it up, you know? Um, so that would have been helpful, but uh, I, so open source can be good, but it can also be a little bit problematic in that you have to conform to those rules, right? Which is kind of tough when you're getting started and you don't really understand the rules. Okay, so so if you already have experience doing open source software, it's it's probably a heck of a lot easier to to go that route. True. But if you're if you're learning yeah. both Ruby and the open source world at the same time, that might be a double challenge. Yeah, or just, you know, ask somebody. Um, a lot of projects are really good, too. Like, if you go talk to them before you want to do something, like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this idea, you know, and, and they will usually say, yeah, we would love that, or no, we wouldn't like that, and give the reason why. And then uh, you can ask them, so if I did this, you know, a lot of times if you engage them beforehand, they're more willing to shepherd you through the process. Mm -hmm. Because what was the magic acronym? We had somebody on a while back that talked about, what was it PDI? Please do implement. Please do investigate. Yeah. That's, Please do investigate. Yeah. Yeah. That's from the Rails core team. They say that a lot. Yeah. And the, the one uh, thing that I see a lot is um, when, when newbies go to um, participate in an open source project, they usually bite off some like huge, huge change that they, that they want to make. Um, and, uh, you know, and they, and, and a lot of times it may just be, they have no idea, you know, as, as a noob, you don't know, um, you have a hard time estimating the size of, of something. Um, and it's, it can be very surprising just how, how big a given, you know, a given change that you think would be a good idea can be. Um, and sometimes I think it's, sometimes it's better to look for like a tiny bug or something. Yeah. You know, that's a mistake I keep making like all the way to today. Like I, um, I always think, oh yeah, I should do this complex thing. Even in my speeches, I've learned this over time. Like when I'm giving a presentation, I'm always like, well, I got to show some significant example or something like that. And I keep having to relearn this lesson, but I've found that if I do a simpler example, 
then that leaves me time to show off, twist it around, Mm -hmm. you know, make it deeper, show it from different angles. And those end up being the better ones, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it always, always when I bite too big, it comes back to haunt me in, in those things. In my pairing with novices, I, um, uh, we, you know, I usually ask, you know, what's a, a simple change to this program or what's a simple feature that you'd like to, to implement? Um, and, you know, they pick like the simplest thing they can think of. And then we get about 10% of that done. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, in contributing to open source, I think we said in a past episode, too, that it's much easier to accept a smaller patch than to have to go and grok a larger patch so that you know that there's nothing in there that's going to blow things up. Mm-hmm. It's, it, that can be like counterinstinctual too, because like I was reading a project yesterday that uh, had a method in it that was you know like d equals array, and then it had you know some collection dot each d gets you know some you know conversion of that element, and then it returned the d collection, and I'm like, uh, dude, that's a map. You can, you know, I can, I can get rid of, I can reduce this whole, this five line method to one line of code with just returning a map. And, and I thought, eh, you know, it, it's, it's not really worth making a pull request to, to put this. This is, you know, this is a big hassle for just a five line, you know, code, but do send those in because that's a, that's a tiny little defect. It's also something that, you know, the maintainer, if they're actively maintaining the project, um, it's something they can look at and go, yeah, that's cool and merge it and they're done. So Josh, tell us some other cool stories you saw after Twitter. Okay, bro. Uh, the there were <laughs> there were a couple bro. things. Yeah, cool, <laughs> yeah, cool, cool story, bro. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Somebody got it. <laughs> okay, so, so there were a co- there were a couple other uh, themes that emerged. Uh, a lot of people said uh, to do app was uh, they're a good starter project for them, and they learned a lot doing that. I thought uh, I saw a couple of people say blog as well. That too. That was the next thing I was going to say. Yeah. No, the to-do app is the JavaScript MVC. <laughs> These days, yes. But, what you know, I took the uh, the Prague Prague um, Rails studio way back when, and, and they had a to-do app as one of their uh, early exercises in the app. I think that was, like, what we spent the first day doing. So that... It's uh, it's not just for uh, JavaScript. Okay, so so to do apps and blogs, and and as someone who's written his own blog engine, I gotta say it's it's a pretty good project. Yeah, actually, I really like that one. Um, I think eventually, like if you go and read Avdi's current post, he'll tell you about why uh, you know when you get so far, it's kind of annoying because uh, you really you know. When you get to a certain level, you really just want to sit down and write a blog post and not tinker with the software that's underlying it, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is true at, at, a, at a more expert level. But um, for a beginner uh, project, building your own blog and then posting some stuff to it is awesome. It, it, it's really great. And, and I got to say, I, when I built my blog engine, I set myself up a constraint. And, and I, I think that, um, you know, I'll, I'll editorialize here for a bit that uh, starter projects, you want them to be constrained. You don't want to have you know, infinite runway and you don't want to have infinite features. So what I, what I did with my, with my blog was I said, I w- I'm going to impose a maximum limit of 500 lines of code. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. 
and and I threw out a bunch of features that I thought I wanted. And in fact, I have too many features. There's a couple features I just never use that I wasted a, you know some lines of code on them. But that, that's a that's I think a, a a very effective technique is to set yourself a couple limits on how on on how far you can go in your project. Otherwise, that's great. Yeah. Uh, uh, otherwise, it's too easy to 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 cheat and to and to do crappy things. I've had someone yeah. uh, do their own blog, and I kind of walked them through it. And uh, the limitation, the kind of artificial limitation I constrained on them was basically uh, a good object-oriented design. So I, I forced them to say you didn't have any code that wasn't in objects except for the Sinatra call, you know, in, inside the block. And the only thing that could do is like instantiate an object that it handed down to the view, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh -huh. so basically I used it to show people how you would make the objects and get them to talk to each other. Oh, very speaking, cool. of, speaking of constraints, um, I, you know, I, I work with a lot of novices now in my, in my pairing practice. And something I've been noticing is that uh, for somebody that's that's specifically interested in learning more about Ruby and maybe about like OO design, um, a Rails project isn't always the best isn't isn't always the best place to start. That that that's um, great, and, and and that was the next theme from the from the tweets was that a lot of people said that doing a command line yes. tool, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, because mm -hmm. I've, I've spent a lot of pairing sessions where people have been surprised that, you know, we spent mo a lot of the session doing kind of boilerplatey things. I mean, we learned a lot, you know, because they, they learned all about all, you know, different layers of rails and, and different aspects of the, the request cycle. And and, you know, and, and but there's a lot of just sort of, um, you know, getting the scaffolds in place, getting the views up and running. Um, there are there are a lot of bits and pieces and, um, you know, a lot of times if you're just interested, if you're particularly interested in learning uh, the language and how to think about a problem doing a, some kind of command line app can really focus you and it can, can get rid of a whole lot of kind of extraneous stuff, which is not really, it's, it's important, but it's not really part of that, that core learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really important. Like there, there seems to be two groups of people. One, uh, some that come up, through Ruby and then get to Rails. Uh, and then there's the others that come in through Rails and, and hopefully eventually go down and, and really learn Ruby. Uh, and even when like Josh says something like he came to Ruby through Rails, uh, he doesn't mean the same thing that most people mean when they say that. Um, for example, Josh came with, you know, a mountain of small talk experience. So he already knew how to program. Mm -hmm. Uh, in in you know a very detailed object oriented way you know and it wasn't missing those pieces mm -hmm. and eventually he learned how all that reply applies to Ruby but uh, it, believe it or not the coming up through the language is is far easier I think people don't think that but uh, it actually is uh, you know I learned Rails long after I learned Ruby and I used to joke that I was the worst Rails programmer on the planet which is pretty much true because. I, I knew so little of Rails, but it didn't matter because I understood Ruby and I can make Ruby do anything I want. So, yeah. uh, you know, people would laugh at me because I'd write this little chunk of code and they'd be like, you know, there's a helper for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
No. For nope. for a noob, got the, got the C compiler. I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> for a noob, I mean, <laughs> even there, there there are things that we don't think about it anymore. Probably as as like you know regular Rails programmers, like uh, a command line program, it has a single entry point. You can look at the at the at the file and know that that the Ruby interpreter is going to start at the top of this file and go down. Yeah. But when but, you're working on yeah. a Rails project. Uh, you know, you have to understand routing before you even understand the entry points, and it's not a single entry point. It's you know, it's, it depends on the on the route that it comes in on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so you don't uh, put uh, signal handling in your command line script. <laughs> well, that's kind of you know intermediate level stuff. <laughs> okay, just, just pulling you like. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I think the command line stuff is is pretty interesting, and it can get uh, really complicated if you want Sigint. to go that way. <laughs> Josh has been interrupted. That's a shame. I'm just, I'm just testing your interrupt handler. That's all. <laughs> he'll, he'll be I back could, next week. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have a specific handler, so I just crashed. <laughs> I was, I was just gonna hop him and get him to reload his configuration files. <laughs> you know that that command line thing too. Um, it has more legs than you think. Like, um, mm-hmm. that. Okay, you know, you know, look at look at Rake. Jim Wyrick built a whole career around that. <laughs> right. Exactly, right? Yeah. And we were at uh, OKRB last week, our, our local uh, Ruby group, and uh, one of the Heroku guys came in and showed us what they'd been working on. And basically, they're trying to work on some better monitoring structure. And what they found is all the monitoring tools out there, they don't really like how those are working. And what they've done is they've started rebuilding uh, monitoring the way they want it. And they're what they're doing is they're building a bunch of very Unix-y command line apps that just basically do one very simple thing, uh, very tiny thing, and then they can be combined with uh, other tools. So the example that the guy showed was uh, like a check HTTP command and it just hit it and, you know, gave you if it was up, how long did it take to respond, stuff like that. It wrote mm-hmm. all its output on one line, but it was very careful to do it in key value pairs. So like a name equals and some value. So it was super trivial to parse out. And then, you know, he started talking about how they were combining all these, like that eventually these lines were being sent to like a syslog server and stuff like that. And people were, uh, you know, doing searches through them for uh, particular data they were interested in. So I'm just saying that here's Heroku, you know, a company that's very far down the life cycle of building, you know, this platform. And here they are trying to build simple command line apps because it's a very powerful thing to do. You, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things that, uh, and, and I'll talk about this in my picks a little bit today too, but the more I learn the shell and the command line and stuff, it, it still pays me back massive dividends to this day. You know? Yeah, well, it, it's a lot similar when we're talking about SOAs, um, service-oriented architecture and ser- service-oriented design is, you know, you have some, some worker that you delegate work to or, you know, some subsystem, and, and it's the same kind of thing where it's not necessarily a web interface, it's not necessarily this Rails or Sinatra app. I mean, sometimes it's just a simple script that, you know, it has that single entry point that Josh was talking about where it just pulls something off of the queue, goes and retrieves the next job somehow, and then it just does its little job and then moves on. By the way, that was Avdi <laughs> who said that. Um, and the, okay, oh. the, um, 
so I, I think there's a there in terms of starter projects and, and how to get people going. What, one of the things I always tell people when they when they are like, what should I be learning with? I always say work on a project or on a problem that you're really interested in solving. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I have yeah, people I, come I, to me for coaching and, and they're like, well, you know, so what are we going to work on? And that's what I always tell them too. I always tell them, look, you got to pick a project that you're interested in, in being a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember when I was learning about da- about relational databases, I built a dumb little tool to keep track of my uh, DVD collection. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 you know, I, I used it for about two weeks and then realized, you know, I could I could buy a better one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but but uh, but it was great. And it got me, it got me really engaged. And I, you know, I cared about solving the problem. And so the. The thing that's really amazing about Ruby is there's a, 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 a I mean, how many gems are out there now? It, it's like there, there's a gazillion gems out there. There's a, an amazing number of cool pieces to the standard library and the and the software ecosystem that gives you all of these superpowers to solve problems in interesting ways. And like uh, like ERB embedded Ruby does templating. So there's a lot of problems that you can solve by, you know, by putting in little snippets of Ruby into your HTML file, or even, yeah. or not even HTML. You can do templating for, uh, you know, any number of, of different. You know, you can build form letters for sending out your yeah. your holiday card list or something like that. Uh, and so, so what are some other other good like? Yeah, uh, you know, so I think of these things. That sometimes they're really good for doing production code. But a lot of them are uh, kind of science experiment kind of things. Yeah, I, I look at DRB and Renda as things like that, right. which are exactly. which are good, which are fun tools for doing distributed systems. But I would never really use them in a production system because they just can't handle a large scale operation. But which is uh, which is sad and funny for a thing that is built to be distributed. Oh, shut up! <laughs> no, but it's you know it, it because I agree with you, right? I mean, the whole point of DRB yeah. is that it's distribute the load, and the problem with it is that it doesn't scale for crap. <laughs> well, that that's the problem with distributed computing. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem with scalability. It doesn't scale. <laughs> it's a really hard problem. It's like no, nobody nobody's ever built a really good general purpose distributed computing platform. Everything's always specialized towards one one thing or another. That's why we have MapReduce or mm-hmm. what and have just you. to be clear, Josh is not recommending this as a starter project. Well well, no, actually if there's somebody who Oh, oh, you mean the general purpose thing? No, not at all. <laughs> but but I am recommending playing around with DRB as a starter project. Oh, absolutely. That's a blast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, 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 using DRB, and that, that gets to be a nightmare fast. <laughs> I find it to be kind of fun. Um, <laughs> I, I played around a lot with MUDs. I was really interested in MUDs and used to play on them a lot. Oh, so yeah. I built MUD clients and MUD servers and stuff like that, and... Uh, so I actually uh, have a very deep knowledge of networking that I almost never use anymore because you know <laughs> I don't really do anything in that area. But I, I actually I know how to write like non-blocking invented servers and stuff like that because I had to figure all that out in order to write a mud. Um, and can, can you explain mud to people? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Multi-user... Dirt and water. <laughs> Dirty water, right, that. Uh, Mud is a multi-user dungeon, I think is what it stands for. It's an old-time uh, text adventure game uh, where you connect to some server, and usually they're, you know, have a very D&D-ish feel theme, and you choose a maybe a race and a class, and you have a certain amount of hit points, and you go around and fight monsters and explore the world and get get stuff and items, equipment, that kind of thing. It's it's like a chat server with combat, almost, right? <laughs> you, uh, you see. In, in other words, campfire? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like campfire. EverQuest without graphics. Right. Certain IRC channel. Yeah, it's kind of like an IRC channel, sort of, yeah. Um, but anyways, they're, they're a lot of fun to play around with, and they're pretty neat in that they have, you know, a, a, from a computer point of view... They have a lot of very fun problems. Like the networking is the killer part, the hard part to get past. Uh, but if you use something like a vent machine, you can simplify that a lot. Um, but the you know the fun part, modeling the world. So you have you know these areas that connect to each other. So you know when you type north, you go to whatever's north of there. Uh, and just modeling out that much can be fun. Um, yeah. If you want the non-networked uh, version, right? You have interactive fiction. Uh, which is very similar. Games like Zork and stuff like that uh, that that you play with just a command line interface, walking around, looking at items, using this item on that item. Mm-hmm. Uh, and modeling that kind of program can uh, actually teach you quite a bit about, uh, especially it's a good object-oriented project because you'll have the different objects and, and stuff mm-hmm. that represent the elements in the game. Uh, and you can learn a lot that way. What, what I was going to say that, that was good for me is your starter project, I, I agree with what the other said, don't, don't take something too big, but do take something that overlaps your skill area and goes a little beyond it. Like, it's great if, if it's mostly right in your skill area, except for that one part that's going to go a little bit outside of your skill area. That, to me, is almost the ideal starter project. Uh, because, you know, you want something that you can get into, you can work on, but is also going to raise you up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and and you're going to have to interact with others to get past that part or, you know, get some help or read or, you know, all those things that programmers do as a daily part of their routine. And and centered, we've already said this, but I want to reiterate, centered right in the middle of your interest area, because that's that's the thing that you'll go to bed at night and just wonder, okay, how am I going to make this work? I just need that one more thing, but I got to find it. I got to find it. I I think that's a good rule of thumb for any project you work on. Both of what both of you said, something that's going to push you a little beyond what you, where you're currently at and something that you're, you know, interested or passionate about. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and in a way, uh, starter projects, uh, are, are almost a silly thing in programming and that like, uh, you know, when I start a new project and it usually does have some component I'm not familiar with. So to me, that's, you know, still a starter project. I'm still learning, you know, still figuring mm-hmm. it out. So uh, I got to say, one of the one of the replies I got on Twitter from somebody about what their first Ruby project was, was um, Sebastian Delmont said that it was the application for StreetEasy.com. Wow. <laughs> so, so I mean, how many years has he been running that business? It's like, wow. when did he start that? Like 2006 or seven or something? I don't know, five, 2005. Yeah. It, and and it's it's still, you know, his business. So his very so first... Is, pro- he, 
Is he that good, or did, did he just get that lucky, or both? I would imagine that he evolved it over time, you know, uh-huh. and, that there's probably some things he did well, some things he didn't do as well, and hopefully he's, you know, upgraded parts of it and things like that. Yeah. That's a good question, though. Maybe we should, we'll, we'll have to have him on as a guest. I, just, I was just thinking, we should have him and maybe a couple other people down the road of that have presided over the evolution of large projects and just say, hey, walk us through... Start at the early days. You know, like we talked with the Square guys and we, you know, we talked about how they started out and now they've got, you know, the whole office is a tanning booth because they're monitoring everything. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, well, that's a good idea for a future episode. You know, we ha- we yeah. can have the newbie episode and we can have the old fart episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go crusties. The neckbeard yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, Back in my day, symbols weren't sortable. <laughs> <laughs> and they st- they still aren't, right? No. <laughs> yeah, they are. In one nine, they're sortable. Yeah, you oh. sort them now. They, they do all yep. kinds of crazy things in one nine. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. you can run like reg X's on them and everything. Capitalize. I don't yeah. know. It's yeah, it's weird. like you, you know, for for you know, putting on my small talk old timer hat. Uh, that's not terrible for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Symbols were were subclasses of strings in small talk. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, speaking of interesting and fun and weird little challenges, I was playing with gaming stuff, and um, I discovered last night that Ruby's sort, array sort, is woefully underpowered. It, it takes a block, and you can do anything with it, but there's no convenient shorthand. I was, I had this this array. I, I built this population of a thousand monsters, and they had strength, dexterity, and constitution, and I wanted to find the lummox. You know, I wanted to find very high strength, low dexterity. And sorting on two fields, you have to write the spaceship operator twice. No, and you don't. No, you don't. No, no. Oh, good. No, you, don't. you call sort by, which does a... Sort by. Sort, okay. Sort by does a Swartzian transform, right? So it does uh, a map to some mm-hmm. set of criteria and then sorts and then maps back to the original content, nice. right? Mm-hmm. And... So- because, can you get criteria though? Can yeah. you just can you sort by negative dexterity? Yes, sure. because yeah. the and and because sort by just does some transform when you're dealing with multiple criteria, use an array because the array implements the spaceship operator and it will do the spaceship operator on its contents. So oh, that's can, cool. So you do an array of your two criteria in sort by it'll map it to that do the sort then map it back to the objects you had instead of the arrays and 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 that's great unless you have unless you're sorting a really big collection in which mm-hmm. case allocating an array for, you know another array for right. every object in there can be a can be a bit of a hassle right yeah that's that's the trade-off of the schwarzian transform it's mm-hmm. uh can we get a definition on that this is everybody know what schwarzian transform is yeah so it, it use the schwartz lone star <laughs> yes it comes mm-hmm. from uh, Pearl because I think it was Randall Schwartz. Randall, who, Randall Schwartz invented it, yep. Yeah, who made it big. And and basically, if you think in Ruby code, it's almost equivalent to dot map, where you uh, map into something else, then dot sort, you sort on what you mapped it to, and then the last step is a dot map back to the original thing. So if you had to do it manually, you would map it to an array where the first thing is the thing you want to sort on and the second thing is the original object. 
And then the second map would just be a map to the last element of the array. So right. you put it back to the original object. Right. right. So uh, an example that, that Randall used is he had a bunch of people that he wanted to sort by last name, first name. And so he built out this string that was like 50 characters long. And he put the last name in first up to the first like you know 25 characters and then padded out 25 characters he put in the first name so that no matter how long the last name was as long as they were all within 25 characters you would end up with a single string that represented your index in the sort and now you can sort these elements out very very quickly mm-hmm. yeah that, that that's pretty standard uh, now <laughs> yeah. it was clever for him yeah yep. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a cover for him because he did it like in 1988. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I, the, uh, you know, people have been doing that kind of thing for a lot longer than that. But it's yeah. it's cool that um, that. Uh, oh, we got to have Philip Schwartz on the show now. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you're going to have to go. You're going to throw down with him. <laughs> or uh, <Randall> okay. Schwartz. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah uh, but. Um, Okay, so getting back to what we were talking about. <laughs> oh, so so the whole point of that discussion is if a, a good starter project is if you if you don't know how to do something in Ruby, go on Ruby Rogue and tell James it can't be done. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't well, no, I didn't so, intend to go there, but here we are. <laughs> well, well, that, well, that that's how you how you ask questions on the internet. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you, you know, asking a question never gets you an answer, but declaring something cannot be done. Ruby is a... stupid. It can't even do X. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. People, you know, will bring you on the Ruby rugs and tell you how it's done. Yeah. Right? I, I, I think ser- I have a search filter for that tweet. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I first learned that from like an unofficial fact to the Gentoo channel on IRC was if you want to get help on Gentoo, is you go in and say Gentoo sucks. It can't even drive an Epson twenty one eight printer, and you'll get fifteen replies with in 30 seconds yeah it's that that that, that was what people told me when i started using net news back in the 80s Uh uh-huh uh-huh unfortunately 14 of the replies would be only stupid people would would use that printer yeah exactly that's right sometimes i feel that way about the emacs irc channel Jeez. yeah Mm -hmm. you actually we still get that sometimes in the ruby community like you'll and 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 this goes back to like open source contributions you'll say i want to be able to do this and the first response you'll get back is don't want that stop wanting that yeah (laughs) yeah don't do that it hurts when i do this don't do yes don't do that we need to get to the picks pretty soon here is, are there any aspects of this that we haven't talked about that we need to? What's a good starter project? Okay, so the, um, I th- so uh, we've talked about constraints a bit, but I think that if you that um, you have to be, uh, you, know, you know, David and I have both talked about you want to work on something that interests you, something that you care about, but I think you also have to be willing to kill your darlings. Yeah, that that you that you don't want to be too. Uh, even though you, you're you're sort of emotionally invested in it because you're learning something and you're you're working on something you care about, et cetera, you have it's that whole you know hold on loosely thing. You don't want to be too emotionally invested in having your little starter project grow up into being the foundation of your company for ten years. Yeah, yeah. be willing to walk away. Yeah. Yep. I've been playing with dice right. generators for 10 years, well, 20 years, I mean, since I got into programming, and one of the first things I did in Ruby was write a dice class and a dice bag that you can, you know, roll, you know, give me 3d6 plus, you know, 2d4 plus 1d10 times 8, and 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 it could roll, you know, all those dice, and it, 
I mentioned that because I revisited, I, I started writing a new dice class last night and it's just fun. But the reason you come back to it is because you're willing to just kill it and walk away and realize, eh, this is, you know, this is not my career. It's fun too because you can put a D method on integer, right? So you it's exactly what I did. I, it's, a, it's a little bit ugly, but yeah, three dot D six. The the only problem is, is that the the side the D six is now embedded in the method. So guess what's coming? Method missing, baby. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, let's let's get to the picks. Um, let's make David go first. Okay, um, I'm actually going to be pretty quick today. Uh, Jim Wyrick has written an extension to library uh, to RSpec called RSpec Given, and I've been playing around with it, and I really like it. Um, it it lays almost perfectly on top of RSpec Two. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you can basically say given, and that's like uh, that's like a let block. Um, you know, you know, let this equal this, um, and then you say when. And then you some block that something happens, and then you say then, and then you have some block where you put your assertion. And if you have in each each describe or context, you can only have one when block, uh, but you can have an arbitrary number of givens, and they're lazily evaluated. You can have an arbitrary number of thens. Each then will trigger a new run through of the when and the the, the thing, and. It can really make for some readable RSpec. It, it's, I mean, I think RSpec is pretty readable to begin with, and and actually on the the project that Chuck and I are working on together now, um, uh, we we really did trade places. I was he's at Chattanooga in the same room that I was in uh, three weeks ago, um, but. Uh, for the project that we're working on, we we switched to RSpec Given for about a week, and and then we ended up switching back. Sorry, Jim. Um, mostly because we found that we were writing Given, 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 then, 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 then. We didn't have any when blocks, and um, so we just realized, wait a minute, let's just use let and it, and and just be done with it. The the nice thing about RSpec Given, and I say nice, this is a change that will make some of your eyeballs itch is that you lose the ability to say it and then string. You know, it should do this or it does this, do, and then some block. Now you just say then, blah. And it's just like writing it, do, and then your block. And it forces you to write code that tells the reader what it's doing, not just how it's done. And I asked, actually confronted Jim about this on Twitter, and he said, no, that was by design. Uh, it, it, he basically, he considers that the, the text in it block to be a code smell, just like the same code smell as a comment is a code smell. And I thought that was just really, really fascinating, so I played with it. Um, now, RSpec Given does have one thing that will just absolutely hamstring you, and that is that we have this very temporally fixed, you have givens that happen before the when, then you have the when, and then all your thens happen after the when, which means that it's impossible to put in a mock before, like a should re should receive expectation. Um, you can't put that in in the then. It has to happen before the when, which means that you need to use spies more than you use mocks. So that you can basically say, given I've got this spy set up on this method, then when I do this thing, uh, then you know my spy should have executed. And uh, I pushed back on Jim about this, and so he went out and he updated his FlexMock library, which now supports spies. And so now you can you can build out your stuff with less mocking and stubbing and a little more spying. And um, it, they, they work really, really nicely together. Um, if you find yourself not using the when a lot, you probably want to roll back to just, just pure RSpec2. 
Um, but if you do have uh, something that's very stateful that needs these mocks and spies where you can basically say, you know, given this, then, you know, when this, then this, um, it's a very elegant library and I really like it. Hey, and, hey, yeah. hey, David, hey, David, here's a pro tip. Yes. Next time you have a pick that, that that's that extensive, write a yes. blog post about it and then pick your blog post. <laughs> okay. I'll skip my second pick. <laughs> no, no. Uh, go ahead. That technique is uh, really good. I heard someone recently say when somebody asks you an interesting question in an email, write a blog post and then send them the link. That's a that's a really good idea. Yeah. I actually actually before the episode today, I thought about writing down my pick and reading it so that it wouldn't go 20 minutes long like always. Um and I like your version better. Write it down and then don't read it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just link to it. It's easy. Yeah. No, that's actually really good because I want to explore some of the nuances of RSpec given. I, I think it's a fantastic library and I think people should play with it. And I'm going to stop talking about it because we need to, other people to finish their picks. Yep. So, so are you done with your pick then? I'm done. Yeah, I've got another pick, but I'm going to save it for next week. Okay. Avdi, what are your picks? All right. Well, I've been doing uh, some research for the stuff that I've been putting into the Confident Ruby book. And uh, as, as readers of my blog know, I'm a big fan of the null object pattern. But I decided to hit the books and, uh, and get a little bit more background on it before I wrote about it in the book. And so I've been reading some papers, and, and they've been really enjoyable reads, so I thought I'd share those. Uh, the first one, I guess, is, is the actual original null object pattern paper by Bobby Wolf and uh, you know it lays down the pattern and, and explains why you might want to use it and then there's a, a newer article called Null Object Something for Nothing by Kevlin Henney that's from 2003 and both of those also led me to an, uh, a paper from 1995 uh, by Ward Cunningham called the Checks Pattern Language and it's just a it's it's an it details an interesting approach to dealing with user input that may include invalid input. Um, and that's that's in the that's in the pattern languages of program design book. But I think it's also available on on Ward's uh, web website. So uh, just some some interesting old reads. And the fun thing about about reading these old pattern uh, these these old pattern papers is that. The farther back you go, the more modern they are, because, you know, the, the more recent ones, all the code samples are are like are cluttered up with Java or C sharp or, or you know, heavens forbid, C++. Um, but when you go back to the earlier, the earlier patterns papers from the 90s, they do their examples in Smalltalk and then they're really, really easy to translate to Ruby. So <laughs> it's kind of a weird time inversion principle there. Anyway, those are my pick, picks. Yeah, we'll we'll call that the the dark ages. Yeah. Whoa, nice. <laughs> yeah, the period between small talk and Ruby. <laughs> right. All right, Josh. What are your picks? Okay. Um, let's see. I've been working through this list of picks for a couple of weeks now. I'm now down to uh, some a couple non-programming picks. Uh, so my first pick today is FridayHug.com. And yeah, 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 we haven't actually picked this yet, which is awesome. So the, you know, some people who are uh, perhaps new to Ruby uh, have uh, may not be aware of this. The, so FridayHug.com is a website of of Aaron Patterson hugging the Internet and then a whole bunch of other people joining in. <laughs> and uh, this was built as a, as a Rails Rumble project. 
So Eric, you know, Tender Love would post a photo hugging the internet every Friday, and somebody wrote a website to capture those things that get posted up on Twitter and put them on a website so we can keep them around for all time. I mined so. that site for pictures for my RailsConf talk. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. That's great. So uh, that's worth checking out. And, you know, come Friday, you know, you can you can give the world a hug online. And and then my other my other uh, pick is also non-programming, but it's programming relevant because many of us build websites and this is relevant to that. Uh, so it's called uh, TOSDR or Terms of Service Didn't Read. And it's in the data. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is this is kind of cool. Um, TOS-DR.info. And the point of this is that they translate the terms of service for uh, various websites into understandable English and they bullet point it and and then they classify everything. So they, t they give uh, websites a grade. And uh, this is uh, this project is in its infancy. It's just getting started. Uh, reading their timeline, it, it looks like September is the month they're going to try and get crowdfunding to grow it up into a sustainable project. So keep your eye on it. Go go check out the site. I'm sure they'll have an announcement about that um, as that kicks in. But the, it, it's pretty cool where you can look at at a site like GitHub, which got a, a B grade, and. You know, it's great because, you know, they, they do things, they break it down like, oh, hey, you know, you don't have to give any copyright away, but uh, also things like, um, you know, they can suspend your account and delete your data for any reason. So, you know, they don't have enough good user protection to be a class A uh, TOS. So, huh. it's, uh, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of stuff up there that needs to be filled in, and it's, it's an open project. So... You know, I, I, I'm hoping that it, it takes off and it uh, and it gets a lot of uh, attention and eventually becomes, you know, a big player on the on the internet and and ex and uh, you know what do they say? Uh, you know, uh, uh, sunshine is the best disinfectant. Huh. Oh, nice. <laughs> Never heard that before. I like it. Yeah. It's usually said about politics, but I think it works well for terms of services <laughs> too. <laughs> So, right. okay, that, that's it for me this week. All right, James, what are your picks? Okay, um, I've got a couple about, uh, we talked today about how uh, scripting the command line can definitely be a cool way to get started with certain things. Um, I saw this cool video uh, this week about uh, running shell scripts inside Alfred. And um, Alfred's one of those awesome things, I know we've picked it in the past that, uh, Pretty much every Mac user, I think, needs uh, it or something like it. And uh, what's cool for me is it it's kind of grown up over time and got more more awesome features. So sometimes I learn about things I didn't know because they were added, you know, later and I, I hadn't thought to look about them. Uh, but anyways, in this in this video, uh, the guy is showing how he triggers a shell script through Alfred that creates his project directory the way he likes it, stuff like that. It's a backbone project that he's he's setting it up for, but uh, that won't matter. It, it's it's uh, even if that's not interesting to you, it's what he's doing that's very interesting. Um, running a shell script through Alfred silently so you don't see the terminal pop up and 
sending it uh, parameters when he types in the command and stuff. Uh, it's pretty neat stuff. So uh, check that out if you're an Alfred user. And you are not going to stop being shiny about Alfred until I quit using Quicksilver, are you? Yeah, there's like one person left that's still <laughs> using Quicksilver, but they're wrong. It's me! So anyways, Alfred, it's amazing. Um, and uh, the other thing I learned about, I've been reading the T-Mux book, which I know I've, I've picked in the past and it's uh, awesome. Uh, but it mentions some command line utility that I was somehow... Uh, unaware of, I have no idea how, um, but uh, there's a script command, which I feel like a total idiot because I just spent all weekend running a bunch of shell commands and then copy and pasting them somewhere uh, to get the content into something I needed to produce. And it turns out there's a shell command where you can just say script and give it a file name and now everything you're doing is being written to that file. Uh, and then you just have it in a file. So it's great if you need to record oh, a um, shell session. And it actually keeps like the escapes and stuff in there. Uh, so the color coding and stuff like that will actually be in there. Uh, if you, you know, you can strip them out if you want. But um, uh, but it'll, they'll be in there. So if you open it up afterward, it may not be quite a normal text file. Uh, a good way around that is just open it in less dash capital R. So less but raw uh, will show you the binary. So basically, uh, it will put the syntax coloring back the way it was and stuff. Uh, so anyways, that's another cool trick. Those are two uh, programming ones. And then for a non-programming one, uh, I've got uh, to confess that I actually saw the movie Hunger Games recently. And I, I was quite skeptical, you know, uh, things like uh, Twilight have made me pretty gun-shy. But um, <laughs> uh, turns out that The Hunger Games actually is a pretty cool story. Uh, and I found the movie very enjoyable. Uh, it was pretty good stuff. So uh, I, I don't think it's out on Netflix streaming yet, but you can get it on DVD. Um, and it was pretty good stuff. So I'd recommend it. Those are my picks. Cool. Awesome. All right, so I guess I'm left. Um, my first pick is uh, Radio Shack, and I just I just have to point out I, I had to run down there because um, our washer, uh, one of the buttons on the washer, uh, basically failed and was shorting out. Um, so it was shorting the connection across, like the button was being held in. And at first, it just would you know it would beep like somebody kept pressing it, and then eventually, it just shorted and then if you pushed any button then it would change the temperature on the washer and since the start button is one of those buttons that was kind of affected by that you couldn't actually start and run the washer hmm. so i ran down to radio shack um i picked up a new soldering iron because i couldn't find mine and um and uh, a, a little switch and it cost me probably 20 bucks to fix my washer as opposed to having some repairman come out and do it <laughs> so uh Chuck, you do realize that in the near future, you're going to be picking a 3D printer that allowed you to uh, print a repair mm. part for a replacement part for your washing machine. Oh, dude, don't tempt me. No, no. That, that, <laughs> hey, hey, five, ten years. That's the future. People, people mm. aren't going to go to the store and buy replacement parts anymore. They'll just print them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Of course, we had the we had a thunderstorm that. We lost power at our house, and when it surged back on, it it fried something in our TV. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I get to solder again when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Actually, but, uh, I love the future because you used to tell people don't ever open a TV, but they're all LEDs now, so we don't have that 30,000-volt capacitor in there anymore. Yeah, well, the other thing is is um, in a lot of the TVs, you, you pretty much can get away with just ordering the right circuit board and, and get away with doing things, or you can pull it out, and if you, if you see a capacitor that got fried, yeah. then you know you just deal with it that way so yeah yeah it's kind of cool but anyway um so yeah i i just ran down to radio shack and they had the the right parts for me so hmm. i i just I, I thought that was pretty awesome now it was all machine soldered so the contacts were teeny tiny but you know a little little bit of persistence and you can make it happen so yep. um, my other pick is uh the lg tone it's a bluetooth headset and uh, it has a microphone on it um, that's actually what I'm talking on right now. And it's not the highest quality for recording, but it was nice because last night I was listening to an audiobook on my iPad and, uh, I'm pretty used to having just the wired earbuds. And so, you know, I just left the iPad on the bed while I, you know, went and brushed my teeth and, you know, did what I needed to do to get ready for bed. And, uh, you know, I didn't have to be tethered to my iPad. So, um, that's my other pick. It's the LG tone and I'll, I'll put a link to uh, the the one that I got. I actually picked it up at Best Buy, but and that was only because um, I realized I wanted it and I would probably need it today, yesterday, and so I couldn't get it shipped yep. to Amazon Prime directly to me. Yep. So um, anyway, those are my picks. Um, is there anything we want to uh, go over or reiterate before we wrap up the show? Just use your powers for good or for awesome. Yep. Uh, uh, sign up on Ruby Parlay. Yes. Yep. <laughs> They've already quit listening, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, why did we bother recording this section of the show? It's like there's like five people listening and it's us. Right? Yeah, they all stop at the pace. Yeah. Yep. So all right, well, uh thanks for listening. We'll we'll catch you all next week. Bye bye. See ya. Bye.